Good morning. I'm getting a little bit of an early start because we have an extended prelude and a couple of announcements to make for that. Dr. Holsworth? Good morning. I just want to underscore next Friday's Optimist meeting. It's the third one of the current church year. We will welcome back Dr. Nevin Fisher of Nazareth College, everyone's favorite history professor. Dr. Fisher will bring new insights on the Chinese people and the Christian church in China. These are based on his recent trip to that country. Tickets at $10 per person for the presentation and a catered Thanksgiving dinner are available in the fellowship hall directly after this service and in the church office through next Wednesday. Please bring a donation of paper goods for the Pittsburgh food cupboard and your own table service. So, for Nevin's sake... Purchase a ticket, come and bring a friend or friends, and plan to be with us next Friday. Thank you. Good morning. So this is a reminder about the Advent brunch, which is two weeks from now, immediately following the second service. Sign-up sheets will be in Fellowship Hall. It would be helpful if you can sign up. Um, we won't turn you away at the door, though. The, uh, we'll be making Advent wreaths for your Advent devotions, and also we will be regaled by the Messenger Quartet. So we'd love to have you there. Thank you. Bruce?
Good morning. Please join me in the responsive call to worship you'll find printed in your bulletin. Gather in sacred assembly. Break out in loud and joyous celebration. Hear God's word of invitation. Listen also to God's word of judgment. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High.
let us praise by joining in the prayer of the day. God of surprises, it startles us to realize that this morning your moment of opportunity may come in a calling or a conversion, in an ending or a beginning, in conversation or in silence. We tend to expect life to go on as usual, and then you fling wide a door and open a door of possibility or a door of challenge. Please stir our hearts with passionate love and a joy of anticipation as we wait in faith for what we do not yet see. Help us to be patiently alert and awaken in us an attentive anticipation of your holy purpose. For Christ's sake, amen. As an imperfect people, we confess our sin to God using this litany. I hate and despise your feasts. O oh God, forgive our I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. O oh God, forgive our Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and cereal offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fatted beasts I will not look upon. O oh God, forgive our tentative divinity in seeking reconciliation. Take away from me the noise of your songs. O oh God, forgive our reluctance to listen when you speak, and for trying to drown out of our conscience with our own voice. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. Do not grieve as those who have no hope. All who are in Christ will rise again to new life. Call on God in your day of trouble and God will deliver you. Trim your lamps and prepare to share fully in the service to which God appoints you. For Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Reading from Joshua 24. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates, and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan 
and made his offspring many. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite children to join me up here on the stairs. Good morning. We've been talking about light the last few weeks. I just thought I would let you know that I have some interesting preparations that I sometimes need to make. Did you ever get to your house at night and not be able to find the key that you needed or how to put the key in the slot because it was dark? Yeah, I've had that problem. And so this is kind of nifty. Look, it's on my keychain, and it lights. So that when I can't find my key, I push this button on the keys, and it kind of lights up the keys, and I can see where to put them in the lock. Now, I have another light, too. This is a different kind. And this one, this is a light as well, but it's... It's a kind of an interesting gizmo. What this does, if I push the button here, this lights, right? But if I should forget to uh, plug in my cell phone and my cell phone loses power, I can take it and plug it into here and it will recharge my cell phone in about 20 minutes so I could make an emergency call. So this is a kind of a good thing to keep in the car, wouldn't you say? So if your cell phone would be dead and you really needed to make an emergency call, you had the power to do that. Well, a long time ago, Jesus told a story about being prepared with some backup. And at that time, they didn't have electricity, but they had lights and they used oil to light them. Now, I want you to turn around and look at the candles up here. These candles are kind of interesting because um, they look like real candles, and in a sense they are, but you can see here it's burning with a fire, but this is not wax, this is a tube, and inside the tube is liquid oil, yeah, for the light. And um, one of the concerns we sometimes have is we'll come time for worship and what would happen if we forgot to put oil in? It wouldn't light, right. If we didn't put oil in the lamp, it wouldn't light. So we have some people here who help prepare all of our candles and fill them with oil so that they'll be ready to be lit on Sunday morning. So they have to think ahead, right? What would happen if they got here to the church and didn't think about it in advance and we were out of oil? 
no more light. Right. So that was, you have to, so that's what Jesus was saying. We have to think ahead and be prepared a little bit. And there's lots of things we need to prepare for in life. So he says be prepared. So I have to be prepared this way. Be prepared with oil. And there'll be other things that you'll do to prepare too. Let's pray about this. Lord God, thank you for giving us an opportunity to prepare for living by studying your word here. Help us to be lights in a dark place too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great time in Sunday school. And we're thankful for Sunday school teachers who are prepared to take our young people into the kingdom. Our epistle lesson for today is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and I invite you to hear God's word to you. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will arise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Choir James and Kristen. Wonderful. That'll stay in our heads all day long. We go from modern Psalter to ancient Psalter that inspires us all. It's a responsive reading, so please join me. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell them the coming generation. Glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Matthew 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their flasks of oil with their lamps as they were to do, wise had lamps with oil. The bridegroom was delayed. All of them became drowsy and all of them slept. But at midnight there was a shout. Look, here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridemaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us the door. And he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When God's will is done 
ready for feasting, we watch through the night, tending our lamps till the new day's begun. This is how God readies us for the night. These are the stories that Jesus imparts, filled with the Spirit who joins us as one. Born through our voices, our hands and our hearts, this is a new world where God's If you are a bear, you get to hibernate. You do nothing but sleep for six months. I could deal with this. Before you hibernate, you're supposed to eat yourself stupid. I could deal with that, too. If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat anyone who bothers your cubs. If your cubs get out of line, you swat them too. I could deal with that. If you're a bear, your mate expects you to wake up growling. She expects that you will have hairy legs and excess body fat. I mean, some days at once... You want to be a bear, don't you? And then the bear gets to take one incredible power nap. I've long admired those who know how to do this easily. Fifteen quick minutes late in the afternoon battles back the post-lunch weariness, whether you're a busy executive, a stay-at-home parent, or a student facing a long uh, deadline for a, a paper. I mean, it's not a, quite a siesta, but... It's enough to restore a little vitality. Now, I've had people that tell me that what I should do is put my hands and cross them like this and put my head down on top of them on a table, and then after about 15 minutes, your hands will start to thump and it will wake you up. That's a great theory. (laughs) But I've just never found it work real, real well for me. But bears, now they know a lot about effective snoozing. Recent research is beginning to unpack the amazing slumber skills of black bears. They hibernate for up to four months during the winter without ever waking up to eat, drink, relieve themselves, or exercise. And while the catatonic inactivity of hibernating bears may drop their heart rate as low as six beats per minute, they still burn an amazing 4,000 calories per day. What's really amazing to me about these power nappers is their ability to emerge from hibernation faster and stronger than a combat Humvee on a cold day at almost the same level of physical strength and stamina as when they started their season-skipping siesta. Through daily regimens of muscle stimulation and contraction, bears 
are able to both maintain their constant body temperature and keep their massive muscles in working shape. But a human being who becomes sick and bedridden for two weeks, let alone two months, will find that muscles will become listless from the passivity. I mean, we could hardly take a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady and ask them to execute with the same precision and ability at training camp in July like they did in the playoffs in January. Right? But hibernating bears... Their spell of incomplete inactivity is offset by the amazing ability to efficiently maintain their strength. So come spring, they bound out of their dens at full speed, ready to eat about anything in sight. Four months off, good as new. Now that is a power nap. And researchers are hoping to learn the science behind the regenerating while napping black bear phenomenon because discoveries would then apply findings to the bedridden or those with degenerative neuromuscular disease. But while the deep sleep of hibernation is great for bears and may one day impact medical therapy, not all slumber is beneficial. Fall asleep on Jesus, and you may not emerge feeling rested or refreshed. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he used parables with the illustrations from everyday life to make his point. And in Matthew 25, he tells the story of these ten single bridesmaids who go out to meet a prospective bridegroom. The, the bridegroom's running a little late, and so they nod off for a while. It's kind of a power nap before the courting begins. Eventually, the bachelor arrives, but not every bachelorette here is going to get a rose. While all were eager for the opportunity to meet the potential quality mate, only five become eligible and are invited to the party. Now, we know that Jesus was able to take a nap, even while the frothy seas foamed around him. And the issue in this story is not the fact that the bridesmaids napped as well, because all ten of them did. The issue is that only five woke up prepared and ready to go in the middle of the night. And Jesus is warning against Bad kingdom catnaps, hibernating without remaining strong and ready to go. So what are the lessons for the drowsy today? I mean, I mean, it seems strange to me that those who arranged the lectionary a long time ago would put this gospel passage in here for today. I mean, it seems to me it really belongs during Advent when the theme is really about waiting. But here we are, Christians living 2,000 years after God's initial incarnate arrival might forget that there was going to be a second return of the Christ at a time when we're not expecting. And so Jesus wants us to be prepared and ready. 
Unfortunately, our day goes by and we assume that Jesus has not come. Well, it's true. I mean, there have been no apocalyptic fireworks, no trumpets, no clouds parting, no parousia, no pileups on the freeways, no airplanes tumbling out of the skies like some recent films will depict. But here's the deal. Jesus came today. And it's possible that we were so asleep that we didn't even notice. And if we were awake, our lamps so dim that we couldn't see him. And Jesus was here yesterday. And Jesus is going to be here tomorrow. So where are we going to find Jesus? If we're awake and alert, if our lamps are trimmed to shed some light, we'll see Jesus in prison. We'll see him along the highways. We'll see him in our schools, in our neighborhoods, at the food bank, and the soup kitchen. We'll see Jesus at the office, in the hospital, and next door. But if we're sleepy and we've lost our spiritual muscle tone, there's a good chance we won't see Jesus at all. So Jesus warned against not being ready when he comes. I mean, right, five of the bridesmaids were unbear-like. They emerged from their hibernation. They weren't prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. They had to run off to the market to buy oil in order to prepare their lamps to meet him. Like most of Jesus' parables, the stories are a little open-ended with multiple meanings. This one is designed to have us asking, so how are we going to prepare for the coming of the Lord's anointed? And it's probably best that we keep our lamps trimmed, putting our spiritual lives in order is not something that we can put off to another day. Not till tomorrow. Now, oil in Scripture is often a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we try to spring into action without submitting our work or our intentions or our purpose to the Holy Spirit so that God's Spirit can fill our deeds with power and effectiveness. Or maybe we're short on the oil of kindness and compassion. There's no way we're ready to meet Jesus in the person of the unloved and the unfortunate, lacking the essential oils of compassion and mercy. Maybe we're short on the oil of patience. Without that kind of oil, we're ill-equipped to deal with Jesus, who comes to us in the form of a person who needs long-term love and extensive patience. Maybe we're short on the oil of education and instruction. We're not adequately trained to be of service, where we have all of the natural skills and the interest to minister. Could it be that God is calling us to take our expertise and skills to another level to more adequately meet Jesus when he comes to us. To be prepared for the party, 
We need to keep our wicks and our lamps filled with oil and trimmed and ready. In hindsight, all ten of these bridesmaids could have been prepared. Now, I really don't much care for the somber ending of the parable. The opportunity to be included as a member of God's kingdom eventually comes to an end. And and I, I would much prefer second chances, wouldn't you? Kids usually cry out for do-overs. They don't like the outcome of a game played with friends. Sometimes high school students can retake the SATs to improve their scores. We have delete keys on our computers to offer us an opportunity to fix mistakes. And we do read about 70 times 7 for forgiveness, but this parable seems to suggest at some point the groom's going to come and we need to be ready. Fred Park lives in Berea, Kentucky. And he's helped me understand a little bit about preparedness and readiness as he writes about Appalachian life and about his friend Quill. Quill lived Back in the woods where he hunted and fished all the time. Quill didn't pay any attention to the hunting seasons or the hunting laws. He knew the woods better than the game warden. The game warden had been trying to catch Quill for a long time, and today he felt it was the day. He knew Quill would be up early to go fishing even though it was not officially trout season. So the game warden sneaked down to Quill's cabin in the middle of the night and hid on the top of Quill's house. This way he knew he could get the jump on Quill. He let him head out, and then he as a warden would follow him and catch him. His plan was to hide into the woods until Quill had caught a large, illegal bunch of fish, and he would arrest Quill. As it started to get a little bit of daylight, from the top of the roof, the game warden could hear Quill get up and start a fire and put on the coffee. His stomach started to growl at the smell of the coffee and those fresh biscuits that Quill was baking in the oven. He could hardly contain himself. Suddenly, out walked Quill onto the porch. And that's when Quill hollered, Come on down here and get some of this coffee and biscuits while they're hot. I know you're out there. And Quill went back in and shut the door. Game warden couldn't believe it. He climbed down, he walked on the porch and into the house, and he said, How did you know I was out there? And Quill said, I didn't. I walk out there and say that every morning, just in case you are. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Quill.
Pharaoh may not have been a genius, but he knew enough to take precautions. He was ready. Quail would probably have appreciated Jesus' story about the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. And the admonition seems to be clear. Be prepared. It's often the determining factor in effectiveness. Li Chi Kung placed second to Van Cliburn in the 1958 Tchaikovsky competition, and he was later imprisoned that year during the Cultural Revolution in China. During the entire seven years he was held, he was denied the use of a piano. But soon after his release, he was back on tour. Critics would write in astonishment that his musicianship was better than ever, better than Van Cliburn's. They asked him, how did you do this? Yeah, I mean, you had no chance to practice for seven years. He said, I did practice every day. I rehearsed every piece I had ever played, note by note, in my mind, and on a board. Lou knew that he must stay ready. He would not always be in prison. He wanted to be prepared in case there was another opportunity for performance. 1976, Indiana University's basketball team was undefeated throughout the regular season, and they captured the NCAA National Championship. And you know who their coach was, right? Very controversial fella, Bobby Knight, who led them to that championship. And shortly afterwards, Coach Knight was interviewed on the television show 60 Minutes. Commentator asked him, Why is it, Bobby, that your basketball teams in Indiana do so well? Is it the will to succeed? In my own mind, I thought, no, he probably is successful because his players are afraid he's going to throw a chair at them. But what Bobby Knight did say was this. The will to succeed is important, but more importantly, it is the will to prepare. Our attitude about preparation reveals a lot about our character. Charlie Brown once said that his life was mixed up because he missed all of the rehearsals. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's probably right. We need to prepare. On the way down to the maternity ward, you stop off at the store to purchase an infant car seat and an extra supply of diapers. The baby's room is freshly painted and much of the morning has been devoted to the task of assembling the crib, reading through those instructions that say even a child can assemble this. <laughs> then with all of the excitement, it, it may not have had time to dawn on you but you take it from someone with prior experience in such matters. A baby is coming and your entire life 
is about to change. And only will your life change. You will do a lot of changing over the next few weeks, too. I have sometimes thought that it would be good for us to place a verse from 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verse 51, in the church's nursery over here. For those of you who don't know that part of the Bible, that verse reads this way. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. They throw a small party for you at the office. Someone stands up with a smile on their face, joking that now that you're retired, you're finally going to have a chance to do a little traveling, uh, maybe even straighten out those awful slices in your golf swing. They go around the room congratulating you. Best wishes mingle with goodbyes. Tears are tempered by promises to stay in touch. But at the end of the day, as you shuffle a few personal belongings into a cardboard box, you realize your life is going to change. And usually it's a welcome change. I mean, you plan for it. You prepared for it. And so when the anticipated event at last arrives, it can be good, but certainly filled with emotion. Of course, you know as well as I do that not all of life's changes are like that. Sometimes they're confusing and chaotic. I I stood not too long ago beneath a weather-worn canopy surrounded by flowers, and I watched her. She was a new widow. She moved to the casket. She pinched off a stem of a single rose. And she clutched it to her heart. And before we left that hallowed ground, she said, I don't think my world will ever be the same again. He was my very best friend. Life does entail change. And every time we have a change, we usually have some choices. You have a sense of that in the Old Testament. There you are, stepping through centuries in short, creed-like stanzas. Joshua began to recite this extensive litany of names and events, recalling everyone from Abraham to the Amorites, from Jacob to Jericho. Here at Shechem, Joshua seems to want them to recognize the inevitability of choice and change. It will come. Like it or not, change necessitates choice, and choice necessitates decision. And from Joshua's perspective, the trial is over, and the jury can no longer afford to be out. Choose this day who you are going to serve. In other words, here are all the alternatives. Now make up your mind. Those who intend to serve the Lord step forward. The rest of you, good luck. At least on the surface, the matter seems to be rather clear-cut. But it isn't always. But there are choices to make. 
Cheryl described it this way. She said, when I was a child, my dad and I were as close as could be. And the times I knew it best would be those family reunions when after a big meal they'd move all the furniture and crank up the stereo and start playing polka records one after the other, and eventually someone would put on the beer barrel polka. It was our special song, and my dad would come over with an outstretched hand and say, Come on, girl, let's roll them blues away. And we'd dance, my father and I, we'd dance. But as a teenager, I started to despise the silliness of those family get-togethers. I remember one occasion in particular when, for reasons known only to adolescents, I sat moping on the sofa in one of those don't-associate-with-anybody moods. And as the beer barrel polka began to play, my father came over with an outstretched hand, and I just glared at him with indifference. Just Leave me alone. I muttered it under my breath. And Dad turned and never invaded my privacy again. He danced with my mother and with my sisters. But he heard me and he didn't dance with me. I'd come home from a date, and he'd be waiting for me in the old chair, his bathrobe lightly tied at the waist, an open book in his lap, half asleep. What are you doing, I'd say. Why don't you just go to bed? He'd look at me with those eyes and whisper, I was just waiting for you, that's all. I was glad to leave the house when I finally graduated from high school. My father and I had a distant, formal relationship, but not much more. Eventually, I began to miss what we had once enjoyed. Only I didn't know how to bridge the gap. Until one day when I happened to be home and there was another family reunion. And somebody put on the beer barrel polka. And my father walked across the room. And I went up to him with my hand outstretched and said, Daddy, I believe this is our dance. And he looked at me and he smiled and said, I've been waiting for you. Make no mistake. This is a crucial issue for Joshua. It was a crucial issue for Jesus. Sure, the bridesmaids were waiting, but so was the bridegroom.
May our lamps be ready when he comes. There's a prayer in our bulletins we can use. Eternal God, we bring offerings not because you require them, but because we want to express our gratitude. We do not bring them to fulfill the law, but to demonstrate love, not to fund our pet programs, but to provide for mission, worship, and praise, that your grace might be known. Please use these gifts to bring comfort to those who grieve, meaning to all whose vision is clouded, freedom to the oppressed, and food of every kind for hunger of every kind. Please accept and multiply these offerings for the benefit of all who receive and all who give. Amen.
I asked Kristen what she played. She wrote that piece. It's called Juniper. Thank you. We have lovely flowers adorning our sanctuary this morning. They come to us as gifts, gifts of love and remembrance. The beautiful flowers that you see here are celebrating Martha Reed's birthday. She's in the kingdom of heaven, and her children wanted Bill to see that remembrance, and so we have them, and we'll be sharing them with those who cannot worship with us today, thanks to our deacons. And then we also have lovely flowers in memory of Shalise Hunter from Randy and from Jane. We give thanks for the lights in our lives, even as they illumine us from above. We also give thanks for the work of surgeons and physicians who help to heal our hearts. So we're thankful that Ruth Douglas has come through a procedure earlier this week at Highland Hospital, and we're hopeful that she'll soon be home again. And Bob Schoen, we are thankful that you're being proactive about a heart procedure that's coming up for you on December 2nd. So Godspeed to you as you have this done in Buffalo, and we're thankful for the many ways that your heart has strengthened this family of faith. We also give thanks and praise for people in the kingdom. You might have seen the obituary this morning for Peter Cogill's father, William Cogill. He passed away on Friday, and his um, celebration of life will be on Veterans Day, Tuesday, first at Cloverwood, and then calling hours at Anthony Funeral Chapel. We also are in prayer with the Brown family, with Diane's daughter-in-law, Her daughter-in-law, Christy, has had a recurrence of her cancer in the brain. We give thanks and praise for the physicians and the teams that have worked with them, but we also pray for strength for the entire Brown family. And we are in prayer for Eric Dietl. We were happy to report that the removal of his colon last week went very well. Unfortunately, he experienced a setback this week. He's had a couple of procedures, the latest of which was Friday night, and they believe they have been able to remove the blockage. They're hopeful that they'll get him back home again earlier this week, uh, later this week. We're also in prayer for Veronica Chung's father in Taiwan, diagnosed with a new cancer, and we pray that the wonderful physicians there will also be able to heal and strengthen him. Please join me in prayer, friends. God of all times and seasons, great and wonderful are all your works. You set the sun in the heavens to give warmth to our days, the moon and the stars you cause to light up the night. You have opened our minds to the secrets of nature, placed in our hands the power of the atom, and allowed us to explore the heavens. Through human skill, the earth yields an abundance of food. Through the marvels of medicine, our earthly space is extended, and we're able to give healing, even to Ann Thompson, as her hip surgery this past week was successful, and she should be home later this week. Through the sacrifice of many before us, we may choose this day to gather and worship you. We bow in humble thanksgiving and acknowledge your grace by which alone we live into these many gifts. As shadows lengthen and daylight hours grow shorter, Lord God, praise of your name still comes forth from our mouths. As generations before us pled for your mercy, so we today entreat your goodness. We pray for modesty as we inhabit the earth's service. We ask that you endow all of our leaders, newly elected or otherwise, with wisdom and a love of creation. Fill them with a zeal for peace. Help us to be more faithful stewards of the resources that you provide. 
replace greed with a gracious sharing of our abundance. We pray for those inquirers in our midst who are discerning your call to membership in this congregation. May they feel your guidance bringing them a peace and joy in their response to your grace. And we pray that your spirit might inspire us all to provoke one another to love and good deeds. May you grant us the strength to overcome our fears of change so that we might complete the ministry that you have implanted in each of our hearts. You are God of the harvest. We offer ourselves in response to your gracious providence. We pray for healers and those who preserve life and the caregivers that support us along these long restorations. May longer lives bring a greater sense of your saving love as embodied by the one who taught us all to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. charge this morning is one we can share. Choose the Lord this day and always. 
Serve the Lord in this moment and the next. Love the Lord in your heart with all your strength. Praise the Lord in your gladness and sadness. Be at peace in the Lord, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and Good morning, good morning. 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 Hi, Marcy. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, yeah. Yeah, I went bright red today. And with green, too, I guess. <laughs> Makes me feel like Christmas. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, nice to see you. Good, thanks. Hi, Bill. How are you this morning? Good, good. You got a hunting story to tell now, right? <laughs> oh, predestination. Thank you, thank you.
don't screw it up. Yeah. So you say the same kind of thing? Yeah. Pretty much. And he said, and, and if God is all knowledge, God will have an inkling about the choices, but you still have the freedom to make choices. It's kind of like a parent. You, you kind of know what your kids are going to decide to do. Do they still have the freedom to make their own choices? Yes, they kind of do. But you still have an idea, understanding your first step. They're going to do this, so you want to encourage them. Do this because you can get yourself into hot water if you don't. That's how God comes across in the New Testament to most Calvinists. Yeah. yeah, so far we've got a pile. <laughs> Just piles. Oh, good. That was the best goose hunting season. Seasons ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Well, I just thought I would tell the story about this quill guy who was. Yeah, any of those are out there. Hi, Eloise. I saw you on news. Yeah, I did. Thank you. That was very nice. That was very touching. Thanks. Well, it's it's stories that people can relate to in an important way. Jesus was a master storyteller. That's why he told them because they were always open ended. It wasn't an absolute clear cut answer to things. But he makes you think. That's why he tells stories. I think he's marvelous. Well, my brother who lives in the city and I have another brother way down in San Antonio. And we haven't seen him now for quite a few years. Oh. And we're planning to take a trip down Thanksgiving. That would be nice. Yeah. That would and be it, nice. It's sort of on the same route. Yeah, yeah. Good, thank you. Nice to see you. Great to, I've been fine. How about you? Well, you know, you know about some of that stuff, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Does yeah. Hey, thank you, thank you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Hi, Lou. How are you, Lou? Very good. You got a friend? Does your friend have a name? What's your dog's name? What is it? Oh, I bet you take good care of him. 